Welcome, and let's first talk compliance. I'm Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager at First Healthcare Compliance. Thanks for tuning in. This show is brought to you by First Healthcare Compliance as part of our commitment to provide high-quality, complementary educational resources. We help create confidence among compliance professionals throughout the United States. Please show your support by taking a moment to provide a review on Google, Facebook, or iTunes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Today, we are speaking with Warren Cook, president and co-founder of Symbionts HR. The topic of today's program is how workplace communication mitigates harassment. We will explore the various communication strategies and practices necessary to develop a culture that inherently minimizes harassing behavior in the workplace, including various communication techniques and activities that lead to engagement and empowerment while simultaneously creating an inclusive environment that builds trust and respect. So hello, Warren. Thank you so much for joining me today on First Talk Compliance. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Catherine. It's great to be here with you today. Thank you. Why do you relate communication as a key problem to harassment in the workplace? Well, it's something over the years that I've certainly uh, learned and it's evolved as my career evolved in learning how people and organizations work together. I, I believe there's a, if there's a lack of respectful communication and a lack of appreciation for diversity of thought in an organization, it leads to behaviors that evolve into harassment. Without a development of a respectful communication, intent versus impact can be lost between people. Providing others dignity and respect can be absent. And an establishment of trust really becomes non-existent in the workplace. When this communication breakdown happens, individuals will allow their own biases to surface and influence how they interpret their environment and the reasons why things happen, as why things happen around them, so to speak. As a result, they begin to communicate with each other and across the organization in a relatively negative manner without respect for others, which can often lead to comments or even behaviors that are unacceptable in the workplace and then over time, these can manifest into a harassing behavior, which really becomes a risk and liability for the business, but also just damages the culture. Yes, I believe I'm familiar with what you're talking about, but could you give a few examples of what that could include in the workplace? Absolutely, Catherine. So if you think about two individuals that have either a disagreement or even a situation in which they have a difference of opinion of how to do the work. And if that relationship or the respect between those two individuals isn't where it needs to be or isn't necessarily uh, being effectively executed, those two individuals, when they have that disagreement, uh, may start having some emotion attached to the disagreement, might start becoming angry when they have to talk to that person about the topic or the project or the work task that they're doing. Usually unintentionally, but it happens, we're humans, then that person begins allowing their unconscious biases. And those unconscious biases could be about protected characteristics, the race, the gender, the ethnicity, or anything else about that individual start rising to the surface. And instead of recognizing that maybe the other person, from their perspective or the diversity of thought that they're bringing to the table, 
have a valid reason why what's happening is wrong and correct, not efficient or effective performance or work, they blame the other person for bringing this topic or issue up on that other issue. So let's say it's gender. Someone could feel that, oh, they're picking on me because I'm a man or because I'm a woman, not simply because the work product or performance isn't good. So if communication loses respect, if communication isn't respecting other people's perspectives, and you can't stay focused on the work and you start bringing in emotions and you start bringing in these biases, instead of actually addressing the problem or coming to some mutual agreement on how to approach a solution, you end up with animosity, which then turns into every engagement of communication with that person becomes more and more challenging, more and more difficult, eventually maybe disrespectful. And then it might start violating company policies about how to behave or interact in the workplace. And ultimately, those unconscious biases, which are potentially based on a protected characteristic, rise to workplace harassment, potentially. So I think these things can just evolve. And it's, it's like, like I mentioned uh, early on, it's not always with intent. But if you don't learn how to respect each other and have that communication discussion about the communication, whatever issue you are discussing becomes irrelevant and everything breaks down. Can you touch on the topic, particularly of inclusion? I thought it had to do with diversity, but can you clarify the difference and the similarity between diversity and inclusion? What do you mean between the differences? In the scope of this discussion, inclusion is often aligned with diversity, and it's well recognized in recent years as a two-part process of establishing a more effective workplace, especially communication, performance, productivity. So it's true, however, in the context of communication and harassment prevention. I believe that the improvement of communication in the workplace uh, needs to include respect, dignity, and diversity of thought, which requires people to be inclusive of other people's ideas and contributions. So <clears throat> rather than the concept of diversity relating to protected characteristics or the differences in people, I want to make sure that translates in this context into differences of, of ideas and the contributions people can bring to the table and, and including those ideas and concepts. And you know, to clarify this, you know, in the context is the inclusion has really nothing to do with the protected characteristics such as gender, race, national origin, sexual orientation, all that. Instead, in this context, the inclusion is based on encouraging communication and engagement across functional areas in a company, across departments, units, teams, all to raise the level of engagement across the entire workforce. You know, training on this type of inclusion really leads to civil and equitable treatment of all your employees, both outside the scope of diversity alone, but still addresses the ability to mitigate risk and liability that is the result of poor communication, poor engagement that rises to potentially harassment in the workplace. And, and a great example of this it's thinking about just if you had a project uh, where a, a certain engineering team, an accounting finance team, uh, an HR team, an operational team are working on some problem, you know, one simple way to view it as how do you make that an inclusive initiative to solve the problem, because really that's why everybody's there to solve problems and produce the products and services of the business. Perhaps you identify stakeholders that historically you didn't. Maybe the operations team should have a representative from finance there. Maybe they should bring in an engineer. Maybe they should bring in someone from uh, an, an HR group or somewhere else that 
simply might not have the technical proficiency in operations, but certainly our stakeholders or are um, involved in impacting or they're, they're a dependency on the process and bringing them in for their ideas is an inclusive approach. And if you can master doing that across the organization with all the various projects you have involved, not only are you being inclusive, but people feel more valued, they feel more engaged, and that breaks down these little problems that might arise that are unintentional. So if you have 90% of your interactions are extremely positive and inclusive, when you have those and you will have those one-off unintentional hurt feelings or, or disrespectful situations, you can navigate through them because you revert back to your culture of inclusion and that there was no ill intent and let's find mutual goal going forward. So there's definitely a, a difference there in the traditional thinking of diversity, but in this context, I really think inclusion touches the, the communication, which then mitigates the risk. Talking about communication, we know that communication is so important. How specifically could a healthcare facility or a business of any kind start to improve trust in the workplace? That's a great question, and I think it's probably one of the pillars in my thoughts on this topic around communication and improving a workplace and mitigating this risk is trust. My advice to, to anybody listening to the show and, and for their organizations of any type, but specifically uh, your audience, is start where you can apply some minor adjustments to have critical impact immediately. And with that, I'm not just throwing out a high lofty comment and with nothing behind it. It's really about train your supervisors and train your people leaders on how to effectively engage their staff members during one-on-one -on -one meetings. Right, this is a great starting point to adjust, tweak, or, or begin that behavioral shift for your culture. And these supervisors during these one-on-one -on -one meetings should ask their employees, what else could I be doing as your supervisor to help you be more successful in your role? Think about that. How often are managers and supervisors doing that, especially supervisors who are newer or maybe have not had this type of mentoring or training? or never have encouraged their employees to manage up. The question really requires the supervisor to listen to their response, to be genuine, right, Catherine? They gotta be genuine and authentic uh, in their desire to help the employees. And they have to be willing to make changes in how they work to achieve success both for the employee and themselves. So this training really positions the supervisor well. If they do this effectively with their employee, the engagement with the employee will immediately improve. It starts to build the trust that an employee can look at their supervisor and be willing to speak with them about anything because they will, they will believe and know that the supervisor has their best interest at heart. And beyond building that trust, performance and productivity usually increases as well as employee morale because that employee sees they have an avenue and a channel to go to to get help to share problems, to share challenges, and that the supervisor's not gonna just condone them and, and punish them for the behavior, but help them be successful. This approach can really produce a quick win um, when, a, when applying other strategies and practices to improve communication in the workplace. You know, it will ultimately reduce your risk and liability related to harassment, especially any kind of quid pro quo harassment, because you're in a situation where if you're building that relationship with your supervisor or manager, 
it should never get to the stage of a this for that type of encounter of a sexual harassment type of environment or other type of harassing behaviors because that trust and relationship is going to be a flag early on if there's a problem. So I really think if there's an immediate something that, that people can get off this radio show, go back in the office and have something that they could do today, it would be train their supervisors and people leaders on this strategy. So we have a particular challenge right now. Of course, we've been dealing with COVID-19. How can we accomplish improved communication while dealing with this COVID-19 and these challenges in an organization? Sure. And, you know, absolutely. This this is something that I thought a lot about in uh, this topic and a lot of the clients we're working with today. Certainly, this is on top of mind. COVID-19's impacted all of us in so many different ways. But more specifically, it's impacted the workforce dramatically in some cases, changing just how we perform our work and how we are engaging the workforce and our employees. So for good or bad, there's, there's now a reality of a remote virtual work situation that exists, right? And um, it's demanding greater ability for our people leaders and our employees to effectively communicate with their peers, with, with, with their staff, with the management and leadership team. If there were obstacles impeding effective communication prior to COVID-19's impact on your workforce and organization, this must become a high priority of correcting this communication problem because as an organization, you'll have an even greater uphill battle to overcome not only the cultural shift, but also training and development of effective communicators across the workforce. So by that, if, if you didn't have good communication previously, and now you're in a virtual world, now you're on video conferencing, now you're on one-on-one Zoom calls, maybe you're, you're having your weekly one-on-ones, not in person, but on the phone, and you weren't very good at communicating before, or you have managers and people leaders that weren't, it's only gonna exacerbate the problem. Transparency, building trust, and being available to your employees is going to be critical success factors to not only enhance engagement, but to mitigate the risks that are going to impede that progress. And, you know, more specifically, I've had a lot of clients recently, Catherine, say to me, I have poor performers now, and I didn't know they were poor performers in the past. And I asked them, is this a reflection on the employer or on your people leaders? You know, if you, if you have a poor performer and a supervisor is doing a terrible job of managing their performance and helping them be successful, it's only going to make the problem worse when they don't have the one-on-one attention and they're not there in person. At the same time, it may reveal that a person needs more support and feedback, or you just got to highlight who your strong performers are, and you've got to mm-hmm. find ways to leverage these technologies to continue the communication. Remember, too, people now have the ability, with it all being video and, and all the other types of technologies, they could be recording things, uh, they could be videoing things, they could be you know, uh, saving and sharing information. And this increases in some ways the risk to an employer of making sure everybody's communicating appropriately. I just recently had a communication where I was talking about hiring in the workplace and retraining your people leaders and interview team on how to communicate properly during an interview because now it's a video interview, right? So um, COVID has created a lot of challenges we would have never anticipated. On the flip side, we also are learning that a lot of organizations have found ways to do things more effectively and more efficiently. And I encourage the audience of this radio show and others who may read this or see this later, is that 
your employees are going to come up with great solutions and ideas for your products, for your services, for your communication, even workflow and technology recommendations. Make sure that you understand that part of communication is listening. If you're not asking your employees for feedback and if you're not asking them for their ideas and suggestions, you're missing out on a great opportunity to make them feel valued and cared for uh, and, and as part of the solution for the business. So I think it, it's a shame we're all going through this. While we're dealing with it, let's make sure we recognize where our gaps are and take proactive and strategic approach to fix, the, fix these challenges so that we, we help everybody. Right. No, I think there is definitely pros and cons about the new workforce and way being. So those are all very good tips. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to First Talk Compliance brought to you by First Healthcare Compliance as part of our commitment to provide high quality, complimentary educational resources. We help create confidence among compliance professionals throughout the United States. My guest today is Warren Cook, president and co-founder of Symbian's HR. The topic is how workplace communication mitigates harassment. Please show your support by taking a few minutes to provide a review of First Healthcare Compliance on Google or Facebook. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. So Warren, you discussed triggers as a catalyst for harassment in the workplace. Can you elaborate on this and provide an example? I'll use as an example in in the context of our topic today, accountability, or more specifically, just a lack thereof, and how that can trigger problems that lead to harassment. When employees and managers alike are not held to a common standard in accordance with the vision, the mission, and the goals of the organization, as well as the culture that's being promulgated, accountability will simply be inconsistent or non-existent, which is worse. When this is permeating throughout the workforce, individual employees may look for other reasons, right? Other reasons why people are not treated fairly or more critically fabricate in their own mind why they are being treated differently. The root cause may include a lack of training, it could be poor modeling of the expected and appropriate behaviors in the workplace, et cetera. But however, at the end of the day, Catherine, when someone believes they're not being treated fairly due to lack of or perceived targeted accountability, they ultimately begin to think of the why is that happening to them. And in many cases, this thinking leads to labeling, right? They, they label or create this, you know, ultimately a discriminatory thinking. So, so in other words, all this really summarized to me that the employee believes whatever's happening to them is happening because of a protected characteristic. And this leads to then adversarial behaviors, and the organization really needs to try to avoid and mitigate this. And and to put this in really practical layman speak, if an employee sees that another person in their team, for example, is making mistakes, doing things wrong, or fail to follow some policy or rule, or even just a step in a process, and they never get in trouble in their mind, right? Their view is, oh, Jane or John Doe never gets in trouble for that. And then suddenly they're called into their boss's office and ridiculed or uh, get a poor performance review or get criticism or some kind of corrective action for that same failure or task or activity that they didn't follow or do right. Without knowing the reasoning behind it, without being able to understand what's going on from the perspective of the other situation, all they know is what they see and observe. And at first we'll just say, oh, that person is being held accountable. 
And then they'll say, well, they're not being held accountable because of X. Well, maybe they're not being held accountable because of their age, because of their gender, because of their race, because of whatever. And those ideas and thoughts keep festering and festering in their head until they start then using that in their communication and using that in how they interact with that supervisor or others. If businesses don't do a good job of consistently holding people in this example accountable for their work performance and behaviors, that's one area that can certainly trigger or be a catalyst for harassment in the workplace. And again, effective communication, speaking to each other, making sure there's bilateral communication, up and downward communication, and transparency and trust, you can mitigate those things. Otherwise, what I just described happens every day in work, uh, workplaces across the country uh, to the detriment of the people involved and to the detriment of the culture and the business themselves. You mentioned bias. I know that sometimes people have unconscious bias when presenting this topic. What can people do to avoid allowing this behavior to impact their communication with others? No, that's a great question, Catherine. And it's something that I deliver a lot of training on this because it's, uh, it's something that impacts all of us. So as, as the name or description implies, the bias is viewed as unconscious because the individual that's, that's presenting or sharing that perspective or view isn't willfully uh, or with any kind of negative intent applying the bias, the bias to how they communicate or interact with others. Whether it's verbal communication, it could be written or nonverbal mannerisms, but whatever it is, um, they might not be doing it intentionally. So unconscious bias is something we all have from the life we've lived. And all the external influences that have been imparted on us throughout our lives, these influences can be anything, really. I mean, it can be anything from your family members, your social interaction, your economic situation, your geographical situation, where you lived, how you grew up, the people you encountered, the jobs you've had, everything. And so these biases are often the most challenging to overcome because they contributed to who we actually are as an individual, right? It, it, it's who we, who we are today and a culmination of our life. And so regardless of that, when communication breaks down or a pattern of challenging communication follows us in our career or our life, where you get similar feedback over and over, or you're told over and over that you behave this way, it does warrant for us to take a closer internal reflection and analysis of our behaviors and our communication. And once you as an individual uh, become aware of the bias, you can really make a conscious effort to mitigate and address the influence um, that, that, that when communicating with others. So if you find that you have a tendency to um, speak uh, uh, one way around men and another way around women or one way around younger individuals and another way around older individuals or you know, whatever that tendency is that's not intentional but could negatively impact the engagement or the communication with the other person, you want to really just make yourself aware because it's simply that reminding yourself of the awareness helps you stop that, helps you refocus on just being very objective with the topic. So again, rarely is there any negative intent when it's unconscious bias rears itself. However, the impact can be extremely negative uh, and requires a keen sense of emotional intelligence and and, and uh, insight to pick up on the reactions of others. I'll give you a great example of this. Over the years of interviewing thousands of candidates, 
when I'm working with an interview panel or hiring team, it often becomes very clear to me quickly if someone on the panel is demonstrating some unconscious bias because when they present their reasons for or against an applicant or a candidate, they often don't match their their decision. They often don't match their behaviors during the interview or the follow-up questions they might ask. And so I'll explore that only to find out that, oh my gosh, they, they didn't realize they were doing this. They didn't realize that they were um, having that perspective or consistently taking one side over the other uh, that wasn't objective simply because that's how they viewed things. And, and it really was being closed-minded to that diversity of thought and inclusiveness. So um, there's lots of situations, real-life situations that can impact and hurt your performance, that can impact and hurt your business or your organization if you're not willing to reflect on it. And this takes um, a humility to ask your peers and ask your manager's employees if they feel you demonstrate any unconscious bias. Because once you become aware of it, you can improve it and enhance it. But if, you, if you're unable to even identify or become aware of it, it, it will forever be a problem uh, until you recognize it's there. Included in feedback, sometimes that might be conflict. So why, in your opinion, is it that conflict is not a negative thing in the workplace? Oh, great, great question. And uh, I, I just had a conversation about conflict with a candidate earlier this morning. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of positive, constructive conflict to resolve differences uh, and arrive at the most effective solution for everyone. You know, historically, there was a human resources focus on conflict resolution, which is designed right. to really just resolve conflict, right? And, and there still is a place with certain topics like sexual harassment or violence in the workplace where you are resolving conflict. But in recent years, the best practice demands that we also recognize conflict and master conflict management. What I mean by this is, is we engage in conflict with mutual goal, with respect, and with inclusion in mind to achieve the greatest solution for everyone, right? So as an example, if you had a room full of design engineers for a project, would you want them as a leader to stop interacting once they had a disagreement on the design or the path forward and resolve the conflict, just resolve it and, and walk away? Or would you rather them engage one another However, with respect, with dignity, professionally, so that they could hear each other's ideas, collaborate on the topic, and then arrive at the best solution for all, perhaps willing to try each other's ideas and suggestions even, until one of the solutions or one of the choices become the best design for them and for the business, right? So, you know, I hope, I would hope the goal of any leadership team would be to encourage that trust, encourage that respect and inclusion and collaboration. And it only happens and it only works when it's modeled, when they're trained on it, when they're empowered to do it, and they all understand how to do it respectfully, professionally, with dignity to those around them. And it and requires listening as well, but that's a great example, hopefully, for, for, for the audience of why it's not about just resolving conflict. It's about managing through it and helping everybody get to the same uh, mutual goal. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Warren. I really appreciate you being here today. As always, you're such a pleasure to have on our show. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. As always, to First Talk Compliance, we appreciate you as well. You can learn more about the show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at FirstHCC or hashtag FirstTalkCompliance. You can also email me at Short at FirstHCC.com. I'm Catherine Short of First Healthcare Compliance. Remember, compliance is the key to achieving peace of mind.